0: The following audio is from the Springs Church. More information about the Springs Church is available at thesprings.cc. Well, good morning, Springs Church. Welcome, everybody, here. Welcome, everybody, tuning in on the live stream. We're so grateful to have you here with us, uh, visitors. I want to thank you for being with us, and if you want to fill out a visitor card, we've got them in the lobby, or you can access them online Uh, in your Sunday sheet. There's a little QR code you can use. Thank you so much to New Rain for being here. Let's give them a round of applause. Grateful to have them with us this morning, leading worship. Let's go ahead and jump right into our sermon series following Jesus. We're in the Gospel of Mark and we're in chapter 8, verses 22 through 26 this morning. They came to Bethsaida. Some people brought a blind man to him and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had put saliva on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, Can you see anything? And the man looked up and said, I could see people, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he looked intently, and his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. Then he sent him away to his home, saying, Do not even go into the village. Let's pray, church. Lord Jesus, we lift up your holy name this morning. We lift up your name in song, in prayer, in scripture. And we lift up you and your gospel. And we give thanks. Thank you for meeting us at the table. Thank you for your Holy Spirit's presence. And we pray for the illumination of your Holy Spirit this morning. I ask you for the gift of preaching, and it's in your name we pray, Lord. Amen. Lara's family has a running joke from the movie Talladega Nights. If you haven't seen it, it's a Will Ferrell movie, so it's pretty ridiculous, but there's a dinner scene that they like to quote from time to time, and if you haven't seen it, Will Ferrell plays a North Carolina NASCAR driver named Ricky Bobby. And they're at this dinner scene at his house. They're about to feast on some KFC, Taco Bell, and Domino's. And he starts to lead the prayer. And every time he addresses Jesus in the prayer, he addresses him as Baby Jesus. Every time. In fact, he, he calls him Baby Jesus so many times that finally his wife, his family, they interrupt. They're like, Ricky, you don't have to call him Baby Jesus every time. Like, he, he grew up. Jesus became a man. He grew a beard. You don't have to say baby Jesus every time. He says, no, I I like the Christmas Jesus best, and I'm saying grace, so baby Jesus. And then everyone around the table proceeds to start talking about how they see Jesus and how they like to picture him. Ricky's son says, well, I like to picture Jesus like a ninja who's taking on the evil samurai. And his friend Cal says, well, I like to picture Jesus in a tuxedo t-shirt because that means that jesus is formal but he also likes to party he says i like to party so i like my jesus to party like i said it's pretty ridiculous but as with (laughs) as with most comedy underneath the layers of zaniness they're kind of brushing up against an important insight and that insight is that we all see jesus differently We all see Jesus differently, which raises the question for us this morning, how do you see Jesus? How do you see Jesus? Our vision, our sight of Jesus is influenced by so many things, right? Some of us have been trying to follow Jesus, trying to see him clearly our whole lives been trying to walk with him. That influences how we see him. Others of us are younger believers or new believers or maybe some are here this morning and aren't actually followers of Jesus, right? That influences how we see him. Stereotypes of Jesus that we might inherit from our culture influence how we see him. Maybe how we see Jesus is influenced by one of the four Gospels more than the other three, right? Or maybe we view Jesus, we see him, as kind of just a ancient version of something from our present day. Maybe we think of Jesus as basically just kind of a regular suburban middle class guy. Right? Or maybe we see Jesus as a political activist or as an ancient Ivy League professor. Or maybe we see Jesus like we see the homeless man asleep at the bus stop. We all see Jesus differently. So how do you see him? That's the question we're asking this morning. How do you see Jesus? I want that at the back of our minds as we get to our text this morning. But before we jump into our actual story, I think we need a little bit of context from the rest of Mark chapter 8, from what's come before, right? So in Mark 8, Jesus has fed the 4,000. Okay, He's fed the 4,000. This is the one that happens with seven loaves of bread. And so after this feeding, a little bit later on, Jesus and the disciples are in a boat. And the disciples realize, we only have one loaf of bread. So then Jesus starts talking, using bread as a metaphor. This is when Jesus says, hey guys, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees. Remember? And so Jesus is basically saying, beware of the corruptive influence of the Pharisees. But the disciples, in kind of a screwball comedy fashion, they think Jesus is talking about their loaf of bread, right? Jesus says, beware the yeast of the Pharisees. And they're like, it's because we only brought one loaf of bread. He's mad. And Jesus notices and he's like, guys, you saw what I just did with seven loaves. Right, We just fed the 4,000. I think we'll be fine with one loaf for 13 guys. We're going to be okay. And it's in the middle of kind of chastening the disciples that Jesus says something interesting. He says this in verse 18. Jesus says, Do you have eyes and fail to see? Do you have eyes and fail to see? Seeing is a really important theme in the Gospel of Mark. Seeing is a really important motif that we're going to see all throughout the Gospel. Seeing, sight, eyes, vision. But I think in this one phrase, Jesus has revealed kind of a more painful truth beneath the truth, the fact that we all see Jesus differently. Underneath that truth, I think Jesus is saying, We are all blind to him in one way or another. All of us have blind spots when it comes to Jesus. We have distortions. All of us, in one area or another, Jesus is opaque. We don't see him clearly. And in fact, the really startling thing is that Jesus is saying this to the disciples. These are the guys sitting right next to him in the boat. Right? These are the guys who've left everything for Jesus. They've been there for the miracles from the start. They've heard the teaching firsthand, and Jesus says, Guys, can you even see me? Do you even understand who I am? Do you have eyes but fail to see? Not only do we all see Jesus differently, not only are we all blind to Jesus in one way or another, but you can sit right next to him sometimes even the closest people might not be able to see him clearly. That should be a warning to all of us, I think. That should give us pause. So that's the context right before we get to our actual text. Okay, so let's jump right back into our story, which we go from Jesus talking to the disciples about, do you have eyes but fail to see, metaphorically, and here we are now in a story about a man who literally, physically has eyes, but fails to see. Jumping into verse 23, Jesus took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had put saliva on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, Can you see anything? And the man looked up and said, I can see people, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he looked intently, and his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. This is another one of those really unique gospel stories from Mark, right? We had a unique one last week, and this story looks plane on the surface, right? At some level, it looks like just another healing story of Jesus. Jesus doing something miraculous. That's what he does. Great for Jesus. But look a little bit closer. There's an odd quirk to this healing of a blind man story. What we expect to happen doesn't happen. Jesus touches his eyes with saliva. He touches him. And he says, can you see anything? We would expect the man to say, yeah, absolutely. It's all back. It's right there, Jesus. I can see. Thank you. What happens, though? He says, "Uh, Yeah, sort of. <laughs> yeah, I can see people, but they're really blurry. They look like trees walking around. So then Jesus touches his eyes one more time, and he says, He looks closely and he stares intently, Mark says, and he sees everything clearly. The strange quirk of this story is that the healing doesn't happen instantaneously, it happens in stages. Jesus heals this blind man, not all at once, it happens in two stages. What is going on with this story? I mean, obviously, Mark is recounting this story because he recounts a lot of miracles of Jesus. But it seems like he's saying something more with this story. Here's why I think that. First of all, there's the context. Remember verse 18? Jesus says to the disciples, do you have eyes but you fail to see? Right? Jesus is talking metaphorically about sight to the disciples. And then a few verses later, we're at a guy who physically cannot see. The other reason I think Mark is saying something more than just the physical is what comes after. Remember, sight is really important in the gospel of Mark, and we're going to see more of that. Keep that in your minds throughout this series, more about sight and seeing Jesus. But especially in a couple chapters, we're actually going to get a second healing of a blind man. So we have this one in chapter 8. We have another blind man healing in chapter 10, and what you should know is, in between is kind of this middle transitional section of Mark's gospel. So for the first part of this series, we've been in the first half of Mark. Later on, we're going to be in the second half, but right now, starting with this story, we're in this little kind of transitional section, and the section is bookended by healings of blind men. The second one, chapter 10, and we'll get to it in a few weeks, it doesn't happen in stages. This one does. Why? What is Mark trying to tell us with this story? Church, I think Mark is telling us with this healing story, I think he's telling us that we learn to see Jesus in stages. Mark is saying something about the disciples, clearly, who Jesus says, can you guys even see a few verses before? Mark is telling the disciples, he's telling the crowds, he's telling us, we learn to see Jesus in stages. It doesn't happen all at once, right? You don't just hop in the baptistry, get out, and suddenly you have the perfect, 100% clear picture of Jesus takes time. Learning Jesus happens gradually, and the Jesus that you see today might not be the Jesus you saw 20 years ago, right? The Jesus you see today might not be the Jesus you saw two years ago. He might be dramatically different. That's not Jesus changing. That's your sight changing. Jesus doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever, but our vision of him changes because we learn to see him in stages. Just like the blind man, the people he's seeing, they don't undergo some strange combustion. His sight changes. They look blurry, they look like trees, and then they're clear. We learn to see Jesus in stages. And Hopefully, Jesus is healing and sanctifying our vision over time, right? But I also don't think we should take for granted that our sight is necessarily always getting better, right? Our vision of Jesus can go from worse to better, but it can also go from better to worse. There might be some distortions in my vision of Jesus today that weren't there 10 years ago, right? Just like our physical sight, it's possible for our sight of Jesus to deteriorate at times. My dad went to the optometrist a few years ago. And they were doing the whole one, two, one, two, kind of trying to line him up with the glasses. And they got to the end of that, and my dad's like, is that it? He's like, yeah, Austin, that's, that's the best I can do for you. My dad was like, that's still pretty blurry. Turns out he had cataracts. Maybe some of you have had cataracts. Maybe you currently do. But it was pretty bad. And so he schedules an appointment to get his right eye done with the cataract. You have to do them one at a time, I guess. So he goes in. He gets the right eye done. They take out the cataract. They put in a new lens. And sure enough, my dad gets home. He takes off the sunglasses. He kind of lifts up the patch. He looks in the mirror. His left eye hasn't been done. It's still got the cataract. But his right eye is totally different i mean looking in the mirror he he told me he actually started crying It it was that emotional that his left eye he could see what his vision had been right and it was this yellow tinted everything blurry opaque kind of mess but on the right the reds were red the blues were blue again everything was clear. Now, the downside, he said, was that he basically became all of 65 years old in one second, because he could see all the wrinkles really up close for the first time. But our sight changes from stage to stage. So the question that we have been asking is, how do we see Jesus? But maybe we should have been more specific. Maybe we should ask, how do you currently see Jesus? How have you seen Jesus in the past? And how do we learn to see Jesus clearly? How do we learn to see Jesus clearly in every new stage of our lives? Well, church, I think the first thing we need to realize about learning to see Jesus clearly is that we can't learn to see Jesus like we learn to see any other figure from antiquity, right? We can't look for Jesus the same way we would look for just any historical dead guy. Why? Easter. We believe Jesus is risen We believe Jesus actually is alive, and you don't learn to see a living person the same way you learn to see a dead person. Right? It's not just bare facts and figures when the person you're trying to learn is still speaking, still alive. So, how can we find a place to stand? How can we position ourselves with a vantage to see Jesus more clearly? Well, I want to leave you with just a few places I think you should go if you want to look and see Jesus more clearly. And the first one I'm preaching to the choir, this is not an exciting or surprising answer, but if you want to see Jesus clearly, you can't ignore the church. Again, I'm preaching to the choir. You're here, you're online. But if you want to see Jesus clearly, you can't ignore the living community that the living Jesus entrusted with his gospel message, the community Jesus founded and promised his spirit to. Right. If you want to see Jesus clearly, you've got to look with the church. Now, I know the church is flawed, I know the church has faults and sins. I know we have struggles. I know the church has stuff to learn from people outside the church. But if you want to see Jesus clearly, you cannot ignore the people he founded. But it's not just the church. We need to see Jesus clearly. We need the church's book, and we need the church's worship. Okay, we need the word of God. We need scripture. If you want to see Jesus clearly, look no further than the gospels. Look no further than the whole sweep of the Bible. Jesus is on every page. If you want to see Jesus clearly, we've got to allow ourselves to be challenged, like I said last week, unsettled by the text to help us rid ourselves of distortions and see him clearly but we also need the church's worship. We need this on Sunday morning, right? We are approaching not some object to study, we're approaching a subject, a living subject that we worship and praise and adore, and so we come to him to learn and see him differently when we come together and worship, when we pray, when we sing, when we come to the tables. Right? We believe that we encounter this living person, Jesus, somehow, spiritually, in the bread and the cup. So if we want to learn to see Jesus clearly, we need the church's worship. Here's another place you can look if you want to see Jesus. Look to the saints. What do I mean by saints? I mean the greatest Christians who have ever lived. I mean, the great Christians in our midst, in our past, throughout church history, the saints help us to see how Jesus can be embodied in a life. They help us to see dimensions of Jesus we might not have seen from our day and age, right? The saints help us see, you know, Brian Zond, he, he uses this example. It's like watching a Hall of Famer play a sport, Right? You can learn a whole lot about playing the game of basketball just by watching Michael Jordan, right? Just go back and watch tape of him play. You will learn how to play the game well just by watching someone who does it at an exceptional level. That's what the saints are for us, right? They're the Hall of Famers. Last place I want you to look if you want to see Jesus more clearly. You need to look to the little ones of the world. If you want to see Jesus clearly, you've got to look at the least of these. You've got to look to children. Right? The kingdom belongs to them. The kingdom belongs to the poor in spirit. Remember, Jesus says, if you feed somebody in my name, you offer a cup of water. If you clothe the naked, if you visit the sick, those in prison, you did that for me. So if you want to see the face of Jesus find the least they have a lot to teach us about seeing Jesus if you want to see Jesus go love the least how do you see Jesus that's our question this morning it can be disconcerting to learn that we don't have a perfectly 100% 2020 vision of Jesus None of us do. It can be uncomfortable to learn that we learn to see Jesus in stages, like this blind man, like the disciples. But I want to leave you with some encouragement this morning, some hope that I found in our text. Because I noticed in our passage this morning that the eye is not the only part of the body driving the story. Right? It's about sight, But there's something else happening in this story. Remember in verse 23, Jesus took the blind man by the hand and led him. He put saliva on his eyes and laid his hands on him. And in verse 25, Jesus lays his hands on the eyes again. He looked intently, his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. Where are the hands of Jesus in this story? Always on the blind man the hands of Jesus are with him from blindness to perfect vision and everywhere in between, the hands of Jesus are always with him. The hands of Jesus are literally leading him by the hand. They're holding him. They're touching him. The hands of Jesus are healing this man. So church, when the eye is blind, Jesus has us by the hand. Even when we can't see, even when it's dark, even when we don't know where to look to find him, Jesus has his hands upon us. Jesus is guiding us by the hand. He's moving us along. He's comforting us. He's guarding and protecting us. He's touching and healing our sight. Even when we can't see, church. There's power in the hands of Jesus that are on us. Because these powerful hands of Jesus embraced powerlessness on the cross. These hands of Jesus were nailed to the cross, were hoisted high so that we might see God clearly. The Gospel of Mark says if you want to see God, look no further than the outstretched hands of Jesus. And when we can't see God, when we don't know where to look, when it's darkest, Jesus' hands are leading us. Jesus' hands are guiding us into that everlasting place where we might finally have a clear and perfect vision of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Church, let us stand and begin to praise that Jesus that we are learning to see.